Hello, and welcome to Next Reads, a podcast where we read the first chapter of a young adult or middle grade book to help you figure out what to read next. The North Liberty Library does not necessarily endorse any author's views, but it does support the freedom of speech and the freedom to read. This podcast might contain language or situations some listeners might find offensive or unsettling. I am your host, Erin, the Youth and Teen Services Librarian at the North Liberty Library. My pronouns are she and her. Welcome. So today I'm reading from We Are the Song by Katherine Bakewell. 12-year-old Alyssa has been raised in seclusion as a devotee of the mother goddess. She is a special child, a blessed child, a child who can sing miracles into being. Her voice can mend wounds, halt landslides, cure hunger, even end wars. But though she travels to spread hope and healing, there are those who would use her gift for darker things. And when Alyssa finds herself the farthest from home she's ever been, along with her vain and jealous music tutor, Lucio, she will have to develop the judgment to decide who wants to use her song to heal and who wants to use her song to hurt. So this is a middle grade fantasy. And instead of chapters, because the author is into music, she has things divided out by movements. So we are going to read movement one, verse one. In Cadenza, my homeland, everything is flat and calm, covered in grass and clover. I used to run through open fields and mother and father would chase after me. We skipped rocks on a lake said to have been made from Kea's joyful tears when she created the world. Cadenza is full of stories like that, stories my parents told me with vigor. Cadenza got its name from the goddess, after all, the place where Kea fell. And there were whispers always that Kea herself had been seen there again. But Lucio and I have been traveling through the kingdom of Basso for two years now, and day by day, we journeyed farther from home. The soft beauty of Cadenza's fields was almost forgotten to me. We were in the Basin Mountains, where the air was thin and crisp and cold. The lakes were frozen over. The grass was gray and trampled. Worse still, for two years now, war had left scars upon this land as well as my homeland. Mountains had great chunks missing. Houses had been turned into piles of brick and wood. The forests had been felled, leaving only mangled roots. Debris, broken cannons, and beams from houses dammed up rivers. Wagons were tipped over, wheels missing, wooden panels torn away. I saw it all from the warped window of our little carriage. So much destruction, but new beauty to be found as well. The sparkling snow that I'd never seen before two years ago. The tall, dark pine trees, the winter birds. Out the window, out beyond the road, ahead of us, day faded into lavender evening, with the blue and black of the mountains around us as shards of stained glass. In the front seat, as always, was my composer, Maestro Lucio, his white blonde hair pulled into a tight queue with a black ribbon. Most of his face was obscured by a large blood red scarf, its loose threads fizzy. My heart always swelled when I saw him wear that scarf. I'd knitted it for him years ago when we'd first begun to work together at the monastery. It wasn't that long ago, truly, but in my memory, we were such little children then. His gloved fists trembled slightly as they clung tight to the reins of our horse, Melody. Little strands of hair broke free from his cue and whipped in the biting wind, from which I was protected, safe and warm in the carriage. 
Lucio sometimes said that the goddess was proud of us when we endured suffering, but I wasn't certain. When I watched him tremble in the cold, when I watched the destruction outside my window, when I sang for people starving for hope, I didn't feel proud, just sad. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the basket full of provisions we kept hanging on a hook on the wall. The people we sang for donated money and food and clothing to us in return for our miracles. When I pulled back the cover from the basket, though, I realized that even the gifts we'd been given were becoming fewer and fewer. A day-old baguette, a quarter of a wheel of cheese, three apples, some cured ham wrapped tight in paper. It would only last us a day or two at most. The war was everywhere, touching everything. With a frown, I chose a big red apple, then darted across the carriage on socked feet. I clambered atop my bed and rapped on the window as a warning before I opened it. Lucio scooted a little more to the left on his bench, and I stuck my arm out to offer him the snack. I thought you might be getting hungry, I said above the percussion of Melody's hooves. He held the reins in one hand and accepted the apple, placing it in his lap. When he pulled the edge of his scarf below his chin, my heart lifted to see his smile. Thank you, Alyssa. His eyes, bright green as the meadows of Cadenza, met mine. A line formed between his eyebrows. You look troubled. Is something wrong? I rested my arm against the windowsill and pressed my cheek against the crook of my arm as if it were a pillow. To our right, bricks were scattered across an empty field, along with the husk of three walls of a house. What little family had called that cottage home? And where were they now? All of this chaos simply because the Queen of Akito and the King of Basso each wanted to claim the lush, beautiful, goddess-blessed land of Cadenza for themselves. I thought the war would end by now, I murmured, but there seems to be more and more of it, no matter how many miracles we work. He watched the jagged horizon, his shoulders softening with a sigh. I feel that way too sometimes. Our miracles help people, yes, but surely there is more power in our music than little healing spells. Those spells didn't feel little to me. They still left me weeping as the last bits of Kea's golden magic flowed through me after I sang a holy composition. But I understood Lucio. If Kea wanted the war to end, she could have done so. She could have done so through us. He didn't say this exactly. It would be blasphemous. But I knew what he meant. I wish I could see her, I said. I wish I could speak to her, face to face. He laughed, and it cut at me. I was perfectly serious. They say if we were to look at her directly, we'd go blind, he said. That didn't sound like the Kea I knew, motherly and warm and beautiful. But if anyone knew her best, it was Lucio. He had come to the monastery in the capital, Cadenza Citadel, when he was just six years old. He'd read all of the literature about the goddess. He'd studied music theory and learned all the holy songs before I'd ever arrived at the monastery myself. He was the youngest composer the monastery had ever seen. The other members of Kea's choir reminded me often how lucky I was to have such a gifted teacher. But I did sometimes wonder if he was wrong about Kea, once in a while. Couldn't she change her shape if she wanted, I asked. If she wanted to visit the people she loved, surely she would know not to go about blinding people. Lucio grinned at me over his shoulder. You could have been a scholar if you had been born under a different star. Why not a scholar and a singer? His smile faded away. You've been given a very special gift, one only 12 people in the world have. 
You must dedicate yourself to being the best at singing that you can be. You have to be obedient to Kaya's plan for you. Kaya's plan. It made my stomach sink into my toes. I was only 12. Lucio just 17. We seemed so young to bear the weight of her plans for us. Never deviating, never questioning. But here we were, spreading her miracles. Just like that, the small, shiny idea. Could I be a scholar too? Was dismissed. But Lucio knew better. He was right. I was born to sing. My parents had nearly sacrificed everything because of my voice. Nothing else could distract me. Lucio lifted the apple from his lap, holding it toward me. Have you eaten yet? No, maestro, not yet, I murmured, but it's all right. I'm not hungry just now. He pointed to the horizon with the apple. At the end of this cold mountain pass, a gray splotch was growing bigger and bigger, clearer and clearer. How about this? If there's a bakery in town, I'll buy you a pastry. I sprang from my slouching, sleepy posture so fast I almost hit my head on top of the carriage's window. Really? He bit into the apple, a sharp sound. That last composition was complicated, and you sight-read that final arpeggio perfectly on your very first try. I think you deserve a reward. My mouth began to water as I imagined a treat. I practically memorized every pastry there was. Little tarts filled with fruits of every color. Thick slices of pie topped with clouds of cream. Puff pastries bursting with chocolate stacked atop one another like the spires of the monastery. Back in Cadenza, if I was a good girl and did not sing with the others during festivals, father brought me a roll filled with chocolate. One day I sang and others heard me. I didn't get a pastry that day. It was the day that tore me away from mother and father. I slipped back through the window so only my fingertips clung to the sill. Thank you, I mumbled, my appetite gone. Maybe another time. His voice drifted soft as a breeze through the window. As you like. And I latched the little door. We steadily approached the gray stone wall surrounding the tiny town. Lucio drove the carriage to the stables near the town's gate. From the window, I could see a thin horse and another wagon hitched outside, but not much else. I pulled a deep brown hood over my blonde curls and tied it under my chin. We wore our hair loose in cadenza, but women in Basso tended to keep their heads covered. Back in the monastery, my fellow singers and I wore sapphire blue robes decorated with silver thread, delicate stars and musical notes stitched across a night sky. But when my journey began, I'd traded my fine things for plain clothing that would be unremarkable among the common folk. On the road, I couldn't dress in the proud blue mantle of a singer. It was not safe. Lucio said we must be discreet in a world hungry for miracles. We revealed our power only sparingly. Before I exited the carriage, I took a thin wooden box off Lucio's desk, holding it close as if it were delicate as porcelain and precious as gold. I kept it close to my heart under the folds of my cloak as if it needed to be kept warm too. As I stepped outside onto gray stone, the bitter chill that cut at my cheeks made me even more grateful for my woolen cloak and knitted mitts given to me by worshipers at the border of Basso. We didn't have weather like this in Cadenza. The world was always temperate and green. Maestro Lucio stood beside the carriage with his arms folded, looking very severe and like a Boston native in his dark coat and broad brimmed hat. He even let his hair hang down in soft waves, as was the fashion. 
instead of tying it back as he preferred. He handed some coins to a thin man with a thick black beard. What brings you to Passaggio? asked the stableman. Lucio's bottle green eyes flitted to me. He took a small sideways step closer. We're traveling to the governor's. The bearded man shook his head. I'm afraid you won't be able to. He pointed to his left, to the road that led through town. The only road onward goes through a tunnel, but not a month ago, the accusations came and bombed. It's all closed up now. I looked at Lucio with wide eyes, pressing the hard wooden side of the compositions box tighter to my ribs. We had studied the maps together. There wasn't another way up to the governor's. There wasn't another way onward, not one that didn't carve through wild freezing forests or jagged mountainsides. Lucio pressed his gloved fingers to his lips, his brow lowered as he thought. He glanced back at the emerald green carriage, which was achingly bright against the white and gray of snow and stone. Could you take us to the tunnel? The bearded man narrowed his eyes. Why? We'd like to have a look at it. The stableman scoffed. I don't know you, sir. He pointed at our carriage. I don't know that you aren't an acution loaded up with more gunpowder. Lucio sighed. Though the only passers-by were several paces away in the town square, he lowered his voice. I'm a composer from Cadenza. The stableman folded his wiry arms and shot me a glance, one eyebrow raised. And the girl? I waited for Maestro Lucio to speak for me. Sometimes he said I was his singer. Other times I was a servant girl or his sister or a lute player, whichever was safest. Reaching into the folds of my heavy cloak, I held tight to the little goddess I bead against my heart, offering up a soft prayer to Kea. Mother and father had asked me never to speak, never to sing. I'd broken that rule and we all had to pay for it. Kea, teach me to obey. She's a singer, Lucio said, careful and quiet. He glanced my way and his mouth curved into a reassuring smile, a smile for me spreading warmth from my head to my toes. One of 12 in the whole world, he'd said. You are special. The stableman scoffed. We've had players come through town before, asking coin in exchange for their merriment. We aren't performers, said Lucio firmly. We are mouthpieces of the goddess. The man's face grew pale and his arms dropped to his sides. His shoulders slackened. I, I will fetch the mayor. She will accompany us to the tunnel. If you are what you say you are, well, Kea knows we need you now. He waved his hand saying, come with me. Leave your carriage and horse for now. A crowd had gathered to follow us to the tunnel. They looked much like other bassins. Gray clothes, gray faces, gray eyes. Their hands shook. Their cheeks were sunken in. We've been entirely cut off, explained the mayor, a tall woman with orange curls peeking out from under her hood. Our crops were destroyed by the Acutians, and any aid we once got from the king we can no longer receive, with the roads healed off. All the food we had stockpiled for emergencies, it's dwindling fast. I followed close at Lucio's heels and kept my fists balled tight. This morning, I had felt the food we had was not enough, but looking at the children carried in their parents' arms along the mountain path, at the old women hobbling onward with tears spilling down their cheeks, I felt an immense pang of regret. I'd easily give up my supper forevermore if I could help feed these people. I wished I'd put my goddess eye in my shoe so that it could hurt me and remind me of my sins. 
Instead, I slipped my hand within my cloak again, fishing the long string of my necklace from underneath my itchy woolen scarf. Under the soft fabric of my gloves, I could scarcely feel the shape of the little bead. We have seen much destruction in our travels, Lucio told the mayor as we walked. I imagine things are worse in Cadenza, she replied, the snow crunching beneath her boots. My stomach twisted sharply at the thought. I wouldn't know. We had been away so long, even if I wished it to remain the same, untouched and pristine, I knew it was not. Years ago, the king of Cadenza had died suddenly, childless. He had a great many cousins and relatives who could have taken his place, but among those, unfortunately, were the royal families of both Basso and Acuto. The two nations tore each other and Cadenza apart, each claiming it was they who deserved the throne. Alyssa? At the sound of my name, I whipped my head up, my heart galloping. Lucio tipped his head toward the woman at his side. Mayor Cord asked you a question. The woman dipped her head as if she'd been caught doing something shameful. Oh, I didn't want to disturb her. Her voice isn't made for idle chatter, anyhow. Lucio often warned me of that himself, so that I'd not lose my voice from overuse. But I had so few conversations outside the carriage, and I most certainly didn't want to be rude. I moved closer to the two of them, careful to balance the thin wooden box against my left hip. Within were the tools Lucio used to perform our miracle. Please, I don't mind, I said. What was your question? Her eyes crinkled at the corners. I understand you come from Cadenza. Yes, my lady mayor. What's it like there? She smiled wistfully. I had always wanted to visit the place where the goddess fell. Is it true that the birds sing entire arias to her? I nodded eagerly. That's where our oldest hymns come from. The tunes were ancient and familiar. Mother and father would take me into the woods, sit beside me on a blanket, and teach me the words to the birds' songs. It's beautiful there, I continued, the joy and enthusiasm in my voice decrescendoing little by little as the pain of the memories picked at me. I tried to turn away from the darkness at the back of my mind, but Cadenza doesn't have snow. I'd never seen it before I came to Basso. It's beautiful too. The mayor laughed gently. Yes, it's quite pretty, but it can also be a bother. We've had a few roofs cave in from the blizzards. Many families are housed together now. She sighed, her eyes narrowing at the stony side of the mountain. Sometimes I wonder if Kea is punishing our kingdom. My brows pinched together, but why? Man fathoms not the compositions of the goddess, said Lucio, the words a droning, croaking song that I'd never really liked. It was good for setting a broken bone, but didn't do much for the spirit. Too true, maestro, the mayor replied. The gaggle of townspeople pressed closer. There was a massive arch carved into the mountain stone ahead as a gaping mouth, but debris and boulders filled it from top to bottom. Curse the Acutians, growled the stableman a few paces away. Lucio strode toward the mess, his hand over his mouth as he thought. He glanced back at the mayor. If you please, he said, my singer and I need a little time and peace. Mayor Cord bowed, of course. She shepherded the group a minute's walk away from us down the road. All still craned their necks to watch us. A father lifted his son up on his shoulders. I stood at Lucio's side, unlatching the wooden case. A little wooden desk unfolded itself, along with a tray, including parchment, quill, and ink. 
I held it steady in my arms for him to write on. He dipped the quill in the ink, working his lip under his teeth. A spell to clear the path, he murmured. Something sforzando to open, I suggested, excitement quickening my words, and accented notes as a sudden blow through the rocks. His eyes met with mine. Shh, Alyssa, I need to concentrate. I bit my lip. I was a singer, not a scholar, not a composer. To ignore Kea's role for me was blasphemous. Mother and father were in a cell for their blasphemy, held for a steep ransom worth more than I'd ever make from meager donations, and it was all my fault, all because I couldn't shut my mouth. If I wanted to earn their freedom, I needed to be better, holier, like Lucio. I pinched my teeth harder against the inside of my cheek. Lucio squiggled the clef on the left side of the page. Watching upside down, I marveled as he dotted notes across the staff. Then he paused, thinking again. He scratched out the work he'd done. Not wanting to distract him with my staring, I looked toward the mountain, the snow coating the rocks like sugar, and toward the woods around us. The still piercing beauty that Kay had made with the song. What kind of song had it been? Loud and fast? Powerful, earth-shaking? Or quiet, subdued, and coaxing, like a lullaby? When I turned back to the tunnel, a song started in my head, as clear as if Maestro Lucio had been playing the lute right beside my ear. I could even feel it reverberating in my chest. Bright, loud, rapid, with trills and cadenzas, successions of falling notes, winding like a river. I could almost tap my foot to the song. My throat ached, yearning to sing it, to feel that song open upon my tongue. Lucio lifted the paper and shut the lid of the box. He passed the sheet to me. Here you are, he said. Do you have any questions? The melody scrawled on the page was efficient, controlled, and did not stray far from its starting point. It was five notes, really, but Kay had created the world with only eight. I breathed out, expelling the silly made-up song from my head. A singer, not a composer. I'm ready, I told him. He smiled and lifted the desk from my grasp, folding it closed again. He glanced back at the crowd, still maintaining a respectful distance. Should we have an audience for our miracle, do you think? I nodded eagerly. Some people went a lifetime without seeing Kay's magic. To keep this wonder of the goddess from them was unthinkable. My stomach soured at the thought. Hadn't mother and father done the same thing when they kept me to themselves? Lucio fetched the crowd, the crunch of his footsteps waking me from my swirling thoughts. I returned my focus to the music marked on the page and made comments to myself as I read. Sing this part loudly. Crescendo the phrase here, delicately. Be mindful of that trill. The crowd gathered close at my back. Lucio came to stand before me, separating me from the mouth of the tunnel. He lifted his gloved hand and kept his eyes on me. On my inhale, I thought of the first time I'd learned to sing. Longing and happiness intermingled in me, sour and sweet. Mother and father sang lullabies over me every night. They said I had been fitful one night and that I'd reached for them, reached for their voices. I could barely speak, but I wanted to sing. They sang for me to repeat, call and response. The ancient words that birthed the world, the ancient words I sang now. So simple, little bricks that could build up a mighty fortress. Maestro Lucio kept time with the graceful sweeping of his hand through the air. One, two, three, four. When I sang the melody, it was noble, grand, 
powerful. There was something royal and march-like about it. The swelling phrases, the steady, authoritative meter. And as I sang, I could feel the presence of the goddess around me, as sharp and real as the wintry air. My skin prickled like she was standing at my right side. When I took a breath, it felt as if she were breathing too. She was why I loved music. When I sang, I was never alone. Yet, as all songs did, this one came to an end. The final note, clear, piercing, resounding, and without vibrato, was long and cold and pointed as a blade. A deep, low rumbling sounded like mallets hammering and a steady roll against a drum. Lucio grabbed my arm, and with a crash, the boulders in the cavern fizzled into a fine dust, filling the air and stinging my eyes. As quick as a snap, the feeling of Kay at my shoulder disappeared, just in time for Lucio to pull me close and shield me from the debris in the air. I hid my face against his shoulder and coughed. The sound of cheering stirred me. I wiped up my eyes and lifted my head. The pathway was entirely clear. Bright daylight streamed through the open tunnel. A large woman swept me up in a hug. A child kissed my hands. Men clapped Lucio on the back, bowed to him, kissed his knuckles. The mayor approached the two of us, bending low with her folded hands pressed to her lips. May the goddess smile upon you, she said, her voice soft and strangled with tears. She beamed and touched my shoulder. We do not have much to give, but please rest here for the night before you continue on your journey. Anything we have, we will gladly share with you. They did not have flowers or gold to give, but I knew that every scrap of food they offered was just as precious. Their praise and their offerings weren't the thing that made my heart quiver. Lucio's gloved hand squeezed against mine. Wonderfully done, he whispered, his smile as brilliant as the snow around us. Kea would be proud of you. I am. Happiness glowed like ember in my heart. And that is the end of the chapter, which was kind of long, but we got through it. I will put books with similar themes in the show notes. And if you liked this book, I hope you check it out. If not, there are always more waiting to be found in the library. I hope you join me next time for another Next Streets. <laughs>